One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Gabriel Jesús, bien por el brasileño, que pase metió, atención que ahí va Martinelli, Martinelli va, gol del Arsenal, lo hizo Gabriel Martinelli. Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. We are continuing our habit, is that the right word, of doing the Arscast after our midweek Champions League games because the gap, you know, when you play Tuesday night, you can't wait till Friday to have a podcast to talk about the game. And it was a very, very good win for Arsenal last night away at Sevilla, 2-1. Lots to talk about, lots to be positive about, but some things as well that maybe deserve a little scrutiny as well. So we're going to do all of that. And with me to discuss it is Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hello, Andrew. Long time no see. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? I mean, this is becoming quite the occurrence now. Well, look, this is the consequence of being in the Champions League. We've got to get these podcasts out to people. And uh, look, it's the day after. Uh, a very good win for Arsenal. I think there's a lot to unpack from this game. But I think first and foremost, we should say that going away in the Champions League and coming back home with three points, I think they said on... on uh, TV last night. This is the first time Arsenal won away in Spain since Thierry Henry scored that goal in the Bernabeu in 2006. And I was there for that game. And it feels remarkable to me that that's the last time we won away in Spain. I don't know how many games we played away in Spain. Nevertheless, you know, it's a tough place to go. The crowd were up for it. And to come back to North London with three points is very, very pleasing, first and foremost. Completely. And I think. There wasn't a, a huge amount of pressure on the game because look, we've still got some home games to come. But you know, it was there. There mm. was some, there was some jeopardy there. And and like we said, Sevilla with a new manager having just played well against Real Madrid were in, you know they were up for it. Fans were up for it. The stadium beforehand was rocking. Uh, they had tifos. They had the flags going, scarves going. It was, you know, they were ready to upset us. Mm. Um, a bit like Lons did, you know. They saw what, what kind of effect the atmosphere had on that game. And these are banana skins. You know, you have to be really careful. And 
I think that came through in their tactics. Um, from a severe perspective, you know, I really thought they, they were very clear in what they wanted to do. But again, a very mature control performance from Arsenal that, yes, did, be, uh, you know, it did turn a bit shaky at times. But I think that's what you have to expect when you go away from home. And mm. it's a very welcome three points and one that puts us back in charge of the group. Uh, the only change from the Chelsea game was Takahiro Tamiyasu coming in at left back for Alexander Zinchenko. And that was something we talked about when we did our little brief preview yesterday uh, over on Patreon. I was happy to see that, to be honest. I, li- I like Tamiyasu a lot. Um, we can talk about his performance, I think, in a few minutes' time. The other change we thought might happen might be Thomas Partey in for Jorginho, but Thomas Partey has apparently picked up another thigh injury. That could be a discussion for another day. We'll see how far we go with this one. But that's a bit disappointing, obviously. Um, you know, he's uh, he got injured before the international break, went away, played a couple of games, and then twanged his thigh, it seems, in, in training. Look, it can happen, but there is, I think, a discussion about how much mm-hmm. you can rely on, on Thomas Partey. That meant Jorginho kept his place. So how did you view the team selection in terms of, you know, what you saw from Sevilla? And how do you think Sevilla approached this game based on what they were expecting from Arsenal? Yeah, it was kind of pretty much as I expected. Um, like you said, the, the party injury, we didn't really know about until a few whispers started going around before kickoff, which is, you know, at this point, it's just boring to have to keep talking about it and it's becoming increasingly clear that we can't and don't rely on him anymore with with Declan Rice in the team now so look I think that's a that's one we need to talk about maybe for another day but Tomiyasu I thought he earned his place he earned the start having played really well against Chelsea and this felt like a game for him um in an intense atmosphere with a you know Sevilla have some big forwards they were going to try with a lot of long balls I think so he just came in and slotted in perfectly but for me Sevilla were quite obvious in what they tried to do I think having analyzed our traditional or obvious threats um, you know in Bakayo Saka and Martin Odegaard there was a strong emphasis from them to be on their first touches quickly to bosh them around a bit which they did quite well I thought both players you know, Saka and Erdegaard were quite quiet on the night, mm. especially Erdegaard, who who was peripheral again. Um, but they did a really good job of denying them a chance to find their rhythm. But that requires manpower. And it was a big effort from Marcos Acuna, who I thought was aptly described as being built like an XL bully. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did think you know? <laughs> that myself, actually. I was looking at him going, my God, he's just like solid muscle. He, he has no neck. Yeah, a it's ball of muscle. morphing into one. <laughs> um, but, you know, Lucas Acampos, Gibral, so even Bubakari Samari had to come over to that side of the pitch a lot to keep them quiet. So it's no surprise to me that our best players on the night, Tommy Asu, Declan Rice, Gabriel Martinelli, even Gabriel Jesus, who was drifting out wide a lot to the left, were the ones most able to affect the game. So I think that was key in, you know, Sevilla recognising our traditional threats, but Arsenal also being able to identify that early on and really use it against them, if that makes sense. It does. And I want to come to Martin Odegaard. I will do that. And I I think I want to sort of break this down. in sort of positives versus negatives, which means I want to talk about the good stuff that Arsenal did and then talk about some of the things that weren't quite as good as we might expect and and, and see if we can figure out what's going on in that regard. And I do think Odegaard slots into that 
uh, along with what's going on on the right-hand side and the fact that Arsenal were very, I think, more tilted towards the, the left side of the pitch from an attacking perspective. I haven't quite looked at the heat maps yet, but you know, my eyes that's what my eyes told me anyway. There was a very early chance for, for Martinelli. Um, Jesus did really well, uh, played the ball in behind. It's one of those when you look at replays, you go, oh, you know, you could square that across for for Bakayo Saka, who's coming in. But I think when you are a forward in that position, you know, I don't blame a forward for for taking a shot. You know, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like it was just a, a tap in for Bakayo Saka because there were defenders there. I think when you're in that position, like Martinelli was, you back yourself to have a go and score. And I think it was a good save from the goalkeeper. It was. He spread himself well. And I think if there was the option for a pass across goal, it would have had to have been perfect. So ultimately, he his hard yards made the chance. He breezed past, I think it was Sergio Ramos, um, you know, to, to cut in from that, that left channel between the, the fullback and centre-back. Really nicely worked. Keeper did well. Um, maybe he could have lifted it a little bit more, but mm. I think the the technique of the goalkeeper was very good. He spread himself well and there was just a glimpse of what of what could have happened in that game through that chance. I think that was the way in. Mm. Um, Jesus and Martinelli, I think naturally they have a very strong partnership and, and understanding together. And I think that was maybe the way we were going to get in primarily throughout the game. Yeah, agree, agree. Um, where am I going next with this? I mean, I think you're right to say that the you know, the pass would have to be perfect, but you can have an imperfect finish in that position and still beat the goalkeeper. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think you have to give the goalkeeper some credit there. But it was a good sign, a good opening from Arsenal. There were some moments for Sevilla as well. Um, but the game really came to life in the final part of, of the first half, which we'll come to now in a second. But I'm I'm interested to hear what you think of the way Declan Rice was deployed in this game. Mm-hmm. In that... When we were in possession, he was very deep. And when we were out of possession, he was quite high up the pitch a lot. Uh, at times, you know, playing further forward than than Gabriel Jesus. But when we were in possession, you know, you would expect, for example, uh, Tommy Asu and Declan Rice to be sort of switched around in terms of where they are on the pitch. But it was Declan Rice that was sitting that deep. So he's both important to the build-up and important to the way that we try and uh, put pressure on the opposition when we don't have the ball. These these kind of games, to me, feel perfect for Declan Rice. And I think it's why we tried so hard to bring him to the club, was to give us a presence, a physicality, an engine away from home, you know? And I think ultimately long-term, the plan is to groom him into that number six position. You know, um, I think we've seen him play it for West Ham, for England, but he's often spoke about being able to have that opportunity to to burst forward. I think in his last season at West Ham in particular, he was given a lot more license to roam by David Moyes because there was a real feeling that he could contribute in those attacking areas. There was a there was a sharp development in his game that people saw and said, oh, you know, this is someone who can run beyond the, the last line of defence. This is somebody who, who can combine in those areas. And with Jorginho there, who was very much a sitter, there is a real option for Declan Rice to, to press forward. And I thought his relationship with Tomiyasu was excellent. 
I thought his knowledge about when to stay, when to go was really sharp and intelligent. Um, and you know, there was, there were a couple of moments where you see him and you just think, wow, this guy, you know, there was that one run in particular where he just picked it up and mm. within about five seconds, he took four players out of the game, you know, and I love his defensive diligence as well, just to be in front of the back for a mop up. How many times did we see him in the corner flag, clearing his lines? You know, he's just so, so good. And it's getting to a point now where his consistency is becoming something that in, is, you know, it's loitering in the back of our minds because we don't need to talk about it. Yeah. You know, he's just performing so well every week in, in whatever role is being asked of him. But I thought on the night, it was a really interesting one, a different one to maybe what has been asked of him in, in recent weeks. But that ability to cover so much ground, be present in both areas of the pitch, attacking and defensive, is valuable, really. He's uh, a huge, huge player. Yeah, he really is. And I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here because I want to talk about the things that Arsenal did, did really well in the period of the game when we went ahead. But while we're on the subject of Declan Rice, I think we do have to talk about how he came to the fore when... Arsenal were under pressure a bit from Sevilla. After Sevilla got that goal back, it was 2-0, it was comfortable. And then, you know, the goal, I think, changed the momentum of the game. And we can discuss maybe why that happened. But in those final 20 minutes, you know, I couldn't help but think Declan Rice's quality is obvious. But I also think that in circumstances like that, he's had a lot, and this is no disrespect to West Ham, and I don't mean it to be, but I think he has played a lot of football where his side has been under that kind of pressure, perhaps more often than you would be if you were playing for a bigger club, an Arsenal, uh, Manchester City, all those kinds of things. And that ability to graft in games like this, where the tide has turned a little bit, where the opposition are kind of on top, where you need to read the game, to be present both physically and and mentally, that, that concentration that you need not to make a single mistake. And the way he was able to couple his defensive work with, for example, that run that you mentioned where he just picked up the ball and drove forward. There were a couple more as well. There was one I think he, he intercepted and a couple of Arsenal players maybe left it behind. There's something so dynamic and, and kind of all energy. Um, you know, he's a guy who I think when he goes home, plugs himself in with 1% battery left and recharges all the way to the top overnight. You know what I mean? He 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 gives everything uh, in the in those 90 minutes and you can see it both in what he does on the pitch and how he is afterwards. Like he looks a tired man. And I understand completely why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, to use an Arteta-ism, we had to suffer at times, mm. you know, and that will always be the case playing away from home in Europe, in the Champions League anyway, maybe not so much the Europa League, but, you know, you need to suffer. And I think even if our attacking play hasn't exactly sparkled this season, I trust our big boys at the back to see us through those moments. I'm not saying every game is a walk in the park uh, because things can get nervy when we're under pressure, but, you know, just think about what we were facing at times last night. You know, Lucas Acampos, Yusuf and Nasiri, they've got no issues crashing the box, challenging for aerial duels. They brought on Mariano Diaz um, in the second half, who's a similar kind of 
physical profile. They were crosses, long balls that Saliba, Gabriel, Tomiyasu had to deal with. And they did so expertly. And yeah, I just love that ability of Declan Rice to kind of stand in front of them, mop up, being able to cover those lateral spaces in the corners, interceptions, you know, particularly as they started to push down our right side, you know, oh, sorry, their right side, our left side, you know, he was supreme. And I just have this confidence in our back four um, to be able to deal with pressure in those moments. And he has only increased that confidence because mm. for somebody so young, there's just an assurance he brings on the pitch and, and an obvious sense of leadership that makes you so secure. Um, and he's really, really transformed our defensive game in particular. I think off the ball, mm. we were already a good side, but now we've transformed into one of the best sides in Europe, I think, off the ball. Yeah, I, I think Tommy Asu as well at left back gives you that physical presence. I should also give a shout out to Ben White, who, mm -hmm. you know, Sevilla didn't do anything down that side. Like literally nothing. Everything came down the right-hand side. And I think for the most part, we dealt with it well. I know the corner came from there, but it was good defending, I think, from Tommy Asu to try and, and block a, a Jesus Navas cross and, and all the rest of it. But they never even bothered trying to come down the, the, the right-hand side, uh, our right-hand side, I should say, because, you know, Ben White is there and Saka was there. You know, if he had a quiet game um, from an attacking perspective, no player m made more tackles last night than Bakayo Saka, which shows you the contribution that he can make in, in, in both sides. But yeah, that, that presence that Rice brings and, and what I think he contributes to the perception of the team is, is huge and it's growing uh, week by week. And he was, he was outstanding uh, last night. So let's talk about the end part of the first half where Sevilla had a shot, uh, side of goal, which they hadn't really had for most of the uh, for most of the period. It was uh, in the series who went through under pressure from Tommy Asu to he did brilliantly well to, to cover get that across. Space. Yeah, like I don't know how much he had an impact on on that shot, but even if it was five percent, the distance that that shot went wide, maybe the five percent is you know the difference between it going inside the post and outside the post. It was uh, mm -hmm. very diligent defending from from Tommy Asu, and there was a little bit of pressure then from uh, Sevilla. There was a cross um, which went over everybody's head. Then big Gabby whacks it clear, medium Gabby. I don't know quite how to describe what he did, but he absolutely sent two defenders to the shops. Uh, great control. Um, cut back inside, played the pass to little Gabby. So it's Gabby, Gabby, Gabby. And in we go. I have to say, I think, you know, obviously what Jesus did stands out because of just how skillful it was and, and how aware he was of the run that Gabriel Martinelli was making. But Martinelli's close control on a difficult pitch if you saw some of the close-ups of that pitch, did you see a couple of them? It was like divots everywhere. There were I mean, it was like playing in porridge at times. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know it, was it was the same at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. Shite. Yeah, but yeah. I think it was to do with all the rain that they had in, in Sevilla over the yeah. last couple of days. That pitch was cutting up all over the place. And there was one, I think Raya was taking a, a free kick from deep in our half. And you're looking at it, it's just like little bomb marks all over the pitch where, you know, divots from where the players have gone sliding in. And I think, you know, what Martinelli does in that situation, obviously, 
having missed the earlier chance, he must be thinking about that a little bit. He's also got a lot of time to think about how that could go wrong. What decision I, am I going to make here? Do I wait for the goalkeeper? Do I commit? But every single touch he makes of that football is absolutely perfect. And there's one just to go around the keeper and then he takes another one and it's one of those where you've seen players maybe go a little bit heavy and they push themselves wide and they miss the chance. I think the composure and the control that he shows in that situation is absolutely top class. As much as I loved what Jesus did, I have to think, I have to say Gabriel Martinelli deserves his props in that in that goal as well yeah you nailed it uh what what instantly stood out to me was how much time he had you know the weight of the pass from jesus is absolutely perfect but finishers often thrive on instinct it's it uh, this is sometimes quite a common school of thinking is that finishing needs to be instinctive so when you've got time to think about what you're going to do that's when you second guess yourself or doubt creeps in or you you know take Mm. a heavy touch it was all perfect. The whole execution of the move from Jesus was was perfect. Martinelli's run, perfect. Close control, perfect. You know, it's just a brilliant, brilliant goal. And in, in that moment, just before half time, mm. it really sets us up for, for the second half as well because it instantly changes the mindset of both teams. You know, and I think the composure he showed there to round the keeper who had gotten the better of him you know, early on. So there would have been that mental mind game as well. Just no issues. I have to say, when I saw him running through, I was not worried in the slightest. <laughs> um, I I saw him approaching that chance with, with full confidence and assurity, you know, um, about where he was going to go, where he was going to put that. And I loved the little, um, the little finish as well. And to score like that on your Champions League debut, he just seems like a player to me that is ready for this stage and belongs on this stage, mm. you know? Um, and I was delighted for him. He's he's just so effective. And I think we've forgotten that at times this season. Yeah, I mean, he, he's had a few little injury problems, obviously, as, as well. But, you know, it was a, a great finish and nothing quite like a scintillating counter-attacking goal. We don't score too many of those mm-hmm. because quite often we're facing teams that are sitting deep and and... Um, you know, we're the ones that get counter-attacked on because we're playing higher up the pitch. So very nice to do it in that way. Yeah, lovely goal. I think the commentator w- w- said the same thing. You know, you won't see a, another counter-attack like that tonight. Mm. Um, and it, especially because the match, I thought, was quite ev- uh, even, mm-hmm. I would say. Arsenal had most of the ball. You know, they quietened the crowd well, controlled the game well. But Sevilla, as you said, were kind of working their way back into it. Um, and I felt that that goal was the first time we were able to improvise. Um, and more importantly, it was the first time that Jesus could truly isolate himself against the defender. Mm. Um, you know, which <laughs> it was magic. The, the, the control was good, but it's all about that Cruyff turn, which completely left Goodell for dead. Yeah. Um, while also managing to evade Sumare, by the way. And then, you know, the, the weight of pass is just absolutely brilliant. Mm. Um, it's, it's genius and it's what we want from Jesus on these type of nights. I mean, what an impact from a player who seems to love this competition. Oh my God. Um, what is it? The- 17, yeah, 17 starts in the Champions League, 14 goals and four assists. That's in his last 17 starts, not yes, just last in se- 17. No, no, sorry. In his last 17 yeah. starts, 14 goals and four assists. 
I mean, he's a, he's a guy for the big stage. Mikel Arteta said you need big players for big games. You need magic moments from from players. And, you know, he is someone else who has, you know, had his struggles with injury and unfortunately looks like he might have picked up a hamstring. We'll, we'll chat about that in a second. But I think Arsenal were slightly um, emboldened a little bit or, or certainly encouraged by that goal because the start of the second half we played with some intent. I think Martin Odegaard should have done better with a, a chance that he had. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where, you know, when he first came to the club, those were the kind of uh, chances he was getting that he was putting over the bar. And, you know, as he developed and, and um, settled into his role a bit more, he's putting those in the bottom corner more often than not. And that was a bit of a throwback to perhaps early Arsenal, Martin Odegaard, where he whacked it over the bar, just didn't have enough control over it. Ben White had a shot. And then we scored the second goal. And it's a long kick from Raya. We win the second ball. Declan Rice picks it up, gives it to Gabriel Jesus. And there's a lot to do. There is a lot to do in that situation. I don't know that the defenders do too much wrong. The angle is tight. But what a finish. What an unbelievable finish that is. Uh, Big players, magic moments. It's all there from Gabriel Jesus last night. Brilliant. I mean, the the second goal actually reminded me of a goal that he scored for Manchester City against Burnley all the way back in 2019, where he was out on the left, cut inside and just bent a beauty into the top corner. And, you know, it was... It was brilliantly executed and exactly what we needed in that moment because we were really stepping on their necks um, and we were kind of sensing blood in that moment. And I think we had to get something there because it doesn't last forever, those Mm. moments. You know, Sevilla get a a lucky break, a deflection, a corner, and then all of a sudden the stadium switches again. So we needed that goal there to give us a bit of security. I mean, Jesus Navas didn't, didn't even do anything wrong or badly it's just a brilliant goal. I mean, and it's not something we've seen a lot from him. You know, he's often the central focal point. We know he likes to drift to the left, but that that move is not something we've seen a lot from him. And it was just so lovely because that, that felt like a throwback to me to his mm. City days or even his Palmeiras days where he was just such an explosive player with that kind of finish in his locker. Um and it was a goal that went in and I just went, ooh, you know, like mm. is I, I wasn't yeah. expecting it. I, 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 you know, maybe there was a pass on at the edge of the box or across to the back post. But for him to just cut inside and leather it into that corner was Oof. just, yes, yes. That was a, a moment that, I, you know, I was waiting for. Because yeah. It had been a stop-start season for him. There had been some good performances, some quiet performances. But tonight felt like a night where he really you know, introduced himself. Sometimes there can be, you know, or there has been during his time at Arsenal, maybe a lack of conviction in the finish, you know, not Mm -hmm. quite hit with the, the sort of power that you would like. Um, but no mistake in this one, it's just absolutely brilliant goal. It really was. And, um, we can talk about his role in, in the severe goal in a second, but ultimately, you know, after a two, one win, he, set up the first, he scored the second. Those are the kind of contributions that you need from, you know, your experienced players, because he is one of our more experienced players, certainly from an attacking perspective. He's, you know, been around the block in this competition as well. Uh, I don't think the stage phases him. I also don't think the the 
the opposition, whether it's Sergio Ramos up his arse or a couple of times he was pulled over by Ramos. I don't know. There was one near the touchline. I don't know how Ramos got away with it, to be honest. Um, Jesus was clearly pulled over, but I don't think he, I don't think he worries at all about who he's facing or where he's facing them. You know, he's got that ability to influence games and, um, it's just so good to see him uh, perform to that level. And hopefully, hopefully the the hamstring isn't too bad. It seemed to worry Mikel Arteta afterwards. I saw some quotes doing the rounds from Jesus saying, I've had a... I've had a couple of tests with the physio. I don't think it's too big, but it is also one of those where when you're looking ahead mm-hmm. to what's coming, the Sheffield United on, on Saturday, with all due respect to them, you know, a game we should be able to win without Gabriel Jesus if we need to take some care. And then there is an EFL Cup game, so you're looking at a rotated squad for that one. After that, it's Newcastle away. So whatever happens in the next couple of weeks... I, I think there's a need to to sort of prioritize Jesus's involvement in big games. They're all big games. We all know that. Taking nothing nothing for granted, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'd rather not risk Jesus for Sheffield United to make sure that we've got him for Newcastle. You know what I mean? Yeah, completely. And I th- when he first went down, my my internal thought was just, please be cramp. Please be cramp. Please be cramp. Yeah. Um, because he put in a huge shift, you know, and when you're battling two six foot two six foot three defenders they're banging you crashing you it's hard right so i look hamstring injuries can feel very clinical they always seem to be at least three weeks out but if they can just be a small twinge maybe he just felt something um i think the best thing in that in that moment was to get him off because arteta said you know when a player like gabby wants to come off Mm. um you know you need to treat it with with seriousness and concern but if he's speaking about it afterwards not too bad maybe it's just a look we need to be careful here guys um and and hopefully it's not going to be that fabled three-weeker because yeah we saw with martinelli that something even innocuous like that can keep you out for for up to a month, you know? All right, well, yeah, fingers crossed. Um, Jesus, for all the plaudits, maybe not quite strong enough for the Sevilla goal. I mean, it's a good header, but the defending is a bit static. I think you would be uh, diplomatic in saying. Yes, not a good look for Arsenal, um, considering how strong we have been from set pieces in the past. I think this season there have been a couple of moments where we've looked a little bit shaky. To me in that moment, it felt like the the team were riding that wave of, you know, oh, every time we go forward, we look good and we're popping it around one touch and looking like we're going to score. Um, and it just felt to me like there was a lack of concentration in that moment, which is a shame because mm. it gave Sevilla the initiative to come and to come and attack us again after you know, being bettered for the large part of an hour. So yeah, a bit of a disappointing one to concede. I think Jesus was culpable there on the near post. He, I think he lost his man, lost the physical battle. And, you know, from that close, I think it's very difficult to expect Raya to do anything with a header like that. So yeah, yeah, a, a bit disappointing because we were in control at that point. So to lose the... um well, that element of control was was a little bit disappointing. But like we said, this team gives you a lot more security in terms of defending pressure and, and those kind of moments than 
yeah. the Arsenal years of the past. I mean, I want to ask you because, you know, certainly the momentum of the game changed. The stadium was re-energized. I think Sevilla were re-energized. There were some moments, wasn't there? There was a guy that handled the ball and cracked the ball off the off the bar. Maybe uh, David Rye got a touch. Would have been a yeah, good save. save, actually. You know, yeah. had, it, had it been not handball, obviously. But to what extent, you know, were you concerned about the way the game shifted, right? That all of a sudden it's advantage Sevilla and we didn't pass it as well as we can do and we didn't quite get up the pitch and the longer it went on the deeper we sat which is you know part and parcel of game state we all know that and understand that so how worried were you or not worried about you know something happening in that moment i think saliba made seven clearances in the game gabrielle was there we talked about ben white we talked about tommy asu who was just excellent defensively again uh, we put on Kivior, obviously, to to shore things up towards the end. He came on and was signaling five at the back. So we're hanging on, having already made a couple of changes, you know, from uh, higher up the pitch. And we'll talk about those in a moment. But I think it's one of those where, despite the momentum of the game shifting, it feels like the kind of scenario that you do have to deal with. Uh, at the top level in Europe, we've been there, done that in the past. You know, we've had these games, you know, with with uh, with Arsene Wenger's teams in the Champions League, and I think it's how you manage those situations tells you maybe a little bit more about your ability to cope than okay, can we get our foot on the ball again? Can we get the ball higher up the pitch? Of course you want to do that. You want to get um, maybe a second goal or a third goal rather to to sort of put a bit of daylight between you and the opposition. I don't think that really looked like happening. I think Sevilla had six shots to our one after the after the, the Sevilla goal went in. So we didn't have a lot of attacking threat, but I didn't think we were being pulled from pillar to post. Again, that comes back to what we spoke about with Declan Rice, with Tommy Asu, with, with the defenders. Uh, and, and with the ability to cope with what Sevilla had to offer, which was basically a lot of crosses and not a great deal of incision. Yeah, agreed. Um, look, would I have liked us to have taken care of the ball a bit better? Yes. Would I have preferred Sevilla not to be crashing big bodies into the box with 25 minutes to go? Yes. But like you said, there were there were never really any moments where I thought, or that I saw our back four really reacting to stress. I think positionally we were excellent. Like you said, Saliba, Gabriel, you know, those guys are top, you know, when defending in those kind of deep mm. situations. I think Saliba's improved so much in the air um, in the last 12 months. Look, we have to expect these moments. Yes, we see Sevilla in 13th in La Liga having a, a bad run of form. But away from home, you cannot you cannot just breeze through 90 minutes and, and expect to collect your three points. You know, Bayern Munich were bossed by Galatasaray yesterday. They ended up winning the game 3-1, but they, they were in a bad way for most of that game. You know, mm. it, this is just what happens when you go away from home. Real Madrid against Braga, the same. Normally, you'd expect Real Madrid to, to push Braga aside with relative, with ease. It wasn't that that easy <laughs> you yeah. know they were defending chances even in injury time but Braga put one up just wide in the last minute you know you really have to be switched on and, and expect these moments of pressure because teams lift their games against you especially when you're a quote-unquote bigger team 
they just put in that extra five, 10%. Mm. You know, they, they run for a ball that they wouldn't normally run for. They challenge for a cross that they wouldn't normally challenge for. You know, it's just so true. And Arteta's got it right. You have to, to learn how to suffer in these games because for as well as we played, um, you know, there was a, a lot of maturity and control in our performance. I thought some that we didn't see against Chelsea at the weekend, but you have to learn how to, to be defensive and on the back foot at times because you just cannot expect an easy ride away from home in Europe. It's that simple. No, I think you're absolutely right. You know, and those examples that you cite, you know, Real Madrid away at Braga, 2-1 win and, you know, not like they were just hanging on, but, you know, these are the margins in games like this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and Sevilla, you know, have had some good results there uh, in recent years. I know they've been beaten a few, but they beat Manchester United 3-0 there last season as well. You know, I'm not saying we're Manchester United or anything like that, but it just shows that when the momentum of a game goes that way, you've got to be able to dig in. And I think that will be, you know, obviously the the individual performances that we mentioned, um, you know, Jesus, Martinelli, Rice, Tommy Asu, etc. I, I just think the fact that I don't want to me, uh, say it's a hoodoo or anything like that, but I think, uh, as we talked about in the preview, this was a big game for Mikel Arteta as well. Not mm -hmm. just for... Arsenal in the context of this group, of course it was, but to to go away from home and to take three points and come home, um, have those points in the bag on the table and take the learnings from it, as he said, after Chelsea, I think those will be the big positives from from his perspective. Yeah. And young team, young manager, we're all learning together, right? So I think that's a real positive for everybody involved that we can go to a place like this play well put our stamp on the game but also know that if we do need to to fight and to battle we can do it so it's just a big big performance and maybe after a, a disappointing performance against Chelsea it just gets us back on the right track again so I think what's interesting about games like this is that you can take the positives and and when he goes back and analyzes the game with his staff and and all the rest of it he can do it with the comfort of knowing that we've got all the, all the points and we've got a win and we can take all the confidence from that. And you can look at some of the things that weren't quite right or didn't go as well as you might expect. We talked about Martin Odegaard in this game. Now, I think he was tidier than he was against Chelsea, but you use the word peripheral. Mm -hmm. And I think that's absolutely right. Um, 19 passes in this game, which is really low for him. And after the difficult performance against Chelsea as well, do you have any ideas or theories as to why Odegaard has been as quiet as he has been? Is it just a case of like he's having a little bit of a slump in form? That can happen. A player can have a couple of bad games. But I, I do think there is something to the fact that we were very left-sided in our game and maybe it's to do with how the opposition approach Arsenal now they know how devastating we can be down that right-hand side so they put a bit more focus on that uh, on that right-hand side and how you negate the the qualities of of Saka of Ben White who didn't really overlap a great deal because he couldn't overlap um, Martin Odegaard that triangle of players who have been so effective and and so uh, so excellent for us for such a long time um how much of that is down to like Sevilla just paying more attention there? And and how do you view Martin Odegaard's form at this moment? 
the Arsenal contract curse rears its ugly head again. <laughs> oh, Phil, come on. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah, I think it's a mixture of things. Uh, I definitely think there was a specific effort from Sevilla to nullify that side of the pitch. You know, looking at Arsenal last season, that triangle you mentioned was was inspiring a lot of our success. You know, it's no no secret, no surprise to anybody and they were very physical against Saka and Odegaard in particular. So I think on the night, they they tried very hard to nullify those two players. Also, I think Odegaard has maybe fallen victim to the reshuffling in midfield. Um, Thomas Partey, we know that he has a very strong on-pitch relationship with Odegaard, right? This is... Mm. This is nothing new for us. How how often do we see party shaping up to whip it out wide? And then all of a sudden there's a shift in his body shape and a, and a pace on the ball that goes between the lines to Erdegaard. He turns and then we're off. You know, that is that was a common, consistent pillar of our game for a long stretch last season. Declan Rice has come in naturally, maybe not so incisive in possession as Thomas Party, but I think his natural instincts take him over to the left-hand side. You know, so we've lost the link there. But also, I think Erdegaard has suffered with a slight dip in form, I have to say. Um, we can talk about opposition tactics as, as much as we want. We can talk about the links to him in midfield. But I think he has been hiding slightly. And when he has been given the ball, there hasn't been enough security I thought he was boshed off the ball a couple of times way too easily yesterday. There was one in the second half. Um, I think he he collected the ball in, in the in the right half space. Bubakari Sumare comes along, doesn't even really challenge him, just pushes him aside and uh, Erdegaard falls over. And I think within two minutes he was taken off. It's not good enough. And, I, I, and I'm not doubting his ability to work hard because again I think he was very keen at setting the press yesterday he was covering a lot of ground but I just think in terms of his ball security he's gone down a level in terms of his final ball I mean zero key passes yesterday it's not good enough 19 passes it's not good enough and I just think maybe if there is an option to take him out of the team for a game sit him down I wouldn't be totally against it. Mm. But also, I know that he maybe needs to work his way back into form as well. So I'm not... Yeah. It's a very difficult ground to be in because he's such a key player. But it's been, what, a month now that he's been really quiet. So I think, is that long enough where you can say, look, can we sit you down? You know, get your legs rested. Can you find a way back into this team? Because... Mm he has been unusually quiet. Yeah, I think that's the key word, is unusual there, because it's not like him. And he he looked a bit crestfallen when he was walking off the off the pitch or around the pitch. He was made go all the way around when he was mm -hmm. uh, when he was taken off and, you know, sort of head down and, and looked unhappy. And he must know himself that by his own high standards, you know, his form isn't where uh, where exactly we need it to be. But I do think that you're right about the relationships, the Partey relationship. When we talk about Declan Rice, who is ostensibly playing as the left eight in this system when Jorginho is, is sitting, he's picking it up so deep that the combinations that, that Odegaard had with, uh, with Xhaka, for example, are not there anymore. Tommy Asu, when he got the ball, 
Um, uh, I think he was looking for the external pass way mm-hmm. more often than he's looking for the internal pass. And maybe in part that's because that internal pass isn't there for Mar- uh, for uh, the option isn't there because Odegaard isn't in the right position. But at the same time, you know, the one thing you would say about Odegaard is that it's not like there's a lack of effort or lack of movement. I just, you know, I just worry a little bit that he... Um, you know, his form is such that you're right, you've got to take him out of the team, but who goes in? Is it Fabio Vieira? Is it Emil Smith-Rowe? There's the captaincy side of things as well. You know, if you drop your captain, da-da-da-da-da. Um, so I hope he can find himself uh, sooner rather than, than later. Um, another one, I think, is David Raya. We have to. It, it it feels boring to have to talk about yes. it, but it's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is. It's it it's is. a discussion point, and there was another dodgy pass yesterday into midfield, and mm-hmm. we were lucky that um, is it Luca Bio or Luca Bacchio rather Luca Bacchio, yeah. yeah he he took a heavy touch and Raya was able to collect the ball and his blushes were saved. Otherwise. He takes that and he puts it beyond the goalkeeper and all of a sudden everyone's looking at David Raya. It, you know, I know what he's being asked to do. I know it's not always easy. I know that there is a precision required from a goalkeeper when it comes to passing that isn't uh, as important for players in other positions. Because if you give it away as a goalkeeper, you're likely, particularly with a short pass, you're likely to put yourself in real trouble. Whereas if a striker gives the ball away high up the pitch, you know, you've got a lot of time to to re uh reorganize and, and get set. But I'm a little concerned about the frequency with which these poor short passes are happening. Would you share that concern? Agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do agree. I mean we we spoke about it in the new player podcast after Raya signed. Mm. His strengths were very clear, long distribution and his ability to claim crosses. I went through the tape and his short distribution was very shaky, um, which maybe wasn't so obvious or magnified at Brentford, who are typically more of a long ball team. But I think it's been quite apparent during his short time with us that whether it's down to his mechanics, ability to control and set himself an issue with technique or something else that his short distribution can be questionable at times. Um, And like you said, one, one touch from Dodi Lukabakio yesterday, a better touch Mm. and questions are being asked again because he was completely alone after even Rakitic found him there in the box. So, and it, it does feel boring. And, and me personally, I don't have a horse in the race for either goalkeeper. I just want the best one to play for Arsenal Football Club. But I do feel like there has been an unnecessary, or shall I say, unique pressure and interest placed on the situation, which which almost leads to this referendum each game. And it's quite exhausting. Mm. Um, and the severity and ruthlessness in which Ramsdale was able to replace Burnt Leno made people very quick to just expect the same thing to happen. You know, it was that first international break, Raya came in, he stayed in, and I think people have just gone, right, that's it. David Raya's first choice goalkeeper. And I think I would I would follow that sentiment, 
but I don't think it's so clear yet. No, I mean the Ramsdale was done here. Yeah, I mean the thing is, if if Raya's come in and been a very obvious step up on on Aaron Ramsdale, and there may be you know somebody out there who can pull up the stats and say. Um, you know, Ramsdale versus Raya in terms of ball distribution, short passes, medium passes, long passes, all the rest of it, Raya's ahead of him in that sense. You know, maybe he is. Uh, But Ramsdale, despite the fact that he has made some mistakes and has given the ball away in similar circumstances, think about the Southampton game, they... I don't remember them happening with the kind of frequency that they're happening with Raya now. And again, maybe it's a consequence of how he's being asked to play Maybe it's a consequence of him not recognizing when there are moments when you shouldn't play and you do need to be a little bit safety first. You know, I I, I was thinking towards the end of the game when Arteta has spoken on multiple occasions about when we're under pressure, how he wants us to make passes and all the rest of it, the goalkeeper is going long and Raya went long in the last 15 minutes of of yesterday's game. And don't get me wrong, I wasn't like angry or upset about that or even concerned about it because I kind of feel like that was the right way to approach it. Get the ball high up the pitch and if we can win second balls and we can, you know, uh, keep some possession in midfield and in their half, all well and good. So I'm not saying that that is uh, the wrong way to approach it. But there are moments where I think, okay, if you're playing a pass slightly blind into midfield, there are, you know, your decision making as a goalkeeper should be such that, okay, maybe the manager won't like it uh, on this occasion, but I'm just going to put my foot through this one and, and go up the field a bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, for me, the what made Arteta lose a bit of trust in Ramsdale was just his reluctance to go short. I think that aspect of his game we really lost and I felt that you know Ramsdale was clearly lacking confidence so naturally his instincts were just pumping it long every time and I think that that began to frustrate Arteta but also we've we've seen Ramsdale make the the short distribution issues mm. for me Raya's superpower was always his long distribution so I think he's having to learn on the job something new um, but like you said, there needs to be a balance between, okay, here's an angle, but not just a pass for me. There needs to be a pass from the pass mm. as well. And I think Raya is sometimes blind to that where he sometimes feels as if his responsibility is finished when he makes that first pass. But there needs to be a another school of thought where he thinks, okay, I'm making this short pass. Does the recipient of this pass have have an out ball can Mm. he make the next pass and for me that picture is not always so clear in Raya's head um so I think there's definitely something to to be working on there I mean that punch at the end as well if that goes in I don't think I go on Twitter for for the next five days (laughs) I know what you mean I know what you mean (laughs) the oh the discourse after that and I think the action itself is very brave and decisive from Raya it's just the execution that's terrible. Mm. Whether he, he loses the flight of the ball for a second or he flinches or he closes his eyes. But that whole scene, mm. when it's almost going in slow motion over the crossbar, you can see severe players dropping to their knees. Saliba has got this kind of comedic expression on his face that's 
almost cartoonish when he his his mouth is just agape, you know, as if like, oh my god, what has happened, <laughs> you know, and. I don't even want to think what would have what would have happened if that if that just sailed into the back of the net. Oh, it was uh, yeah, it 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 scared me. I have to say, um, oof, I'm just looking at it again. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god! And like, I know what you mean. Like he's diving into a, a group of players. There. I think that is the right thing to do, completely. But you know, you've you've got to get it right to convince people, you know, who are already having a few doubts about you as a goalkeeper. And, I, you know, I have to th- I have to think that, um, look, maybe I'm being naive here, but the door is open a bit for Aaron Ramsdale for this weekend, mm-hmm. you know, for a game against his former club, um, where Raya has again made a couple of, um, had a couple of dodgy moments. You know, if you can't get back into the team at that point, I know we've got the EFL Cup game the next week, but uh, yeah, he 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 must be hopeful that he can get a shout uh, this weekend. And I think uh, maybe it's what the position needs as well. If Arteta was being honest about the position, about the situation, if this is a true meritocracy between two top goalkeepers, I would be very surprised if it's not in his thinking. Mm. You know, because... I think Raya came in, played very well for a couple of games, showed us that there might have been something different to Ramsdale to come in and and thrive and succeed. But he has made mistakes. And if, if this is a true meritocracy, if there is genuine competition that should be treated like any other outfield position, Mm. you know, this should not be so cut and dry. And I think Ramsdale should be firmly in his thinking even if it's not for Sheffield United, there is a window for him. The EFL Cup game, the Brentford game, which Raya can't can't play to come in and impress. Let's see. Let's see. Um, The other thing I just want to touch on, uh, one of the things I didn't really enjoy about the final stages of this game was Eddie and Kedia's performance Mm. off the bench. And it's not the first time I've noticed this. So I don't know if this is instruction. I don't know if this is how Eddie is being asked to play. We talked about Martin Odegaard and he's off form and he had a, you know, an indifferent game yesterday after a bad game at Chelsea, but he was leading the press. He's making the sprints. He's closing down space and he's doing it over and over and over again. You know, and he knows that like 99.9% of the time, what's going to happen is the ball is just going to get passed around him and he's got to run back and sprint back into position. And then he leads the press again because that is his role in the team. And you do not, whatever you might say about how he plays or the effectiveness of his football, you do not find him wanting for effort. And it's not the first time that I've been frustrated by Eddie off the bench where I, I think if you're playing... For 15 minutes in a game like this, and you've got someone like Sergio Ramos, who's 37 years of age, and he's got heavy legs in the final stages. I do not want to see Sergio Ramos saunter past my center forward, who then does not give sufficient chase to try and work back and and make a tackle and uh, ease some of the pressure that's on Arsenal. Like I said, I don't know if Eddie's being instructed to play in this way because I, as TV cameras cut to the sideline before he was coming on, Mikel Arteta was like, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. So the instructions are very clear, but I found Eddie's lack of defensive effort from the front 
a little bit frustrating. Yeah, it was very casual, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and he does this really annoying thing that when he comes on and he's not directly at it or with the pace of the game, he just gives away so many free kicks. You know, it's like a lazy leg that's maybe just a second late. But I don't know. When you come on in that situation, in the game where Jesus has run his socks off, we need someone up there to to kind of give us a focal point, press the defenders, give us a chance to keep the ball up there. To just watch him come on and saunter around was very frustrating. And mm. I think the extremities of which Eddie can perform, they can they they his performances range from really energetic and you know selfless, running the channels, working hard, and then other games he can just come on and be completely ineffective, off the pace looks disinterested you know it's it's strange because it's something that you'd imagine would rub Arteta up the wrong way mm. but he's still very much firmly in his plans in his thoughts highly thought of so so yeah but I agree with you that was that was frustrating a small thing on ultimately what was a very good night for Arsenal a big win away from home uh, in the yeah. Champions League and it puts us in a good can position I, yeah go on can I just say about Tomiyasu yeah I'm really delighted for him because it's often said that absence makes the heart grow fonder. But in Tomiyasu's case, I think it led to him being forgotten. And in some cases, people were maybe mentally ready to move on without him, especially considering how well Yuri and Timber first settled in when he arrived at the club. But he's been so unfortunate with injuries. You know, that sporting one in particular was just a freak accident. And he spoke so eloquently and honestly about his confidence taking a hit after a, a difficult 12 months. But his quality is so clear. You know, even when playing at centre-back for Japan, that ability to be this Swiss army knife defender who can slot in anywhere across this back four is so important. And what has really impressed me is how clearly and comfortably he looks to be adapting to this inverted role. You know, when Zinchenko is on it, nobody else in the squad can do what he does. But we have witnessed firsthand the development of Tomiyasu in this role, where his defensive quality as a shutdown defender is still clear. You know, he's a monster in the duels. But there is such a clear commitment and dedication to developing and being able to fulfill this role that has been so visible to me over the last few months. And I think he deserves great credit for that. You know, any successful team needs players like him in the squad. Mm -hmm. And I think he's really wrestled back um, some value and some credit because he was on the periphery. You know, there was a feeling that this squad has maybe moved past him. But I think we're seeing his value really come to the fore. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for, for how he's wrestled back into the team. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, I'm somebody who's all, always rated Tommy Asu very, very highly because of just what a good defender he is. And as a, mm -hmm. you know, a guy who played as a defender my whole life, I love watching good defenders, you know, who just know... Uh, how to do it, how to tackle, how to position, all the rest of it. I think he's, I think he's absolutely uh, top class. And I suppose the biggest compliment I could give to him is that in the final stages of this game, I was going, I wish you could bring another Tommy Asu on, you know, <laughs> because when you've got Zinchenko, let's say that game goes the way it goes and you've got Zinchenko, you've got Tommy Asu on the bench and you go, okay, mm -hmm. I'm shoring things up. I'm giving us a bit more defensive security. When he's already on there and you're looking at the bench going, 
ooh, okay, what do we do here? And we did put Kivior on, and that, you know, requires a, a change of shape. But I think, you know, Tommy Asu's um, ability and his quality – do you know what I really liked? I don't know if you noticed this, but in the – at the start of the game, you know, where they play the anthem and all the players do the the handshake, you know, they slap. Mm-hmm. He did not look any severe player in the eye as he was going along. You know, there's sometimes like, oh, yeah, hey, 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 hey. He's like, no, 100% focus. You so know, he means business. He means business. And he gave us the business last night. And uh, long may it continue. Right. We had better leave it there. Uh, as ever, Phil, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Thank you very much indeed to Phil. You can find him on Twitter. He is at underscore Phil Costa at underscore Phil Costa. So that is just about that for this particular episode of the Arsecast. Please note that this is in place of the usual Friday Arsecast. However, if you want more on the Sheffield United game this weekend and the bits and pieces that happen between now and then, please join us on Patreon. We will look ahead to that game on Friday afternoon. We'll have our usual Premier League preview podcast for you. If you're not already a member, you can sign up to get instant access to everything that we do on Patreon. It's about a five or a month patreon.com forward slash arseblog. For now, take it easy, folks. Thanks for being here. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.